If you've ever dreamt about turning your passion into your business, this episode is for you. Jack Smariash is the founder of Stoked Roasters, a small but growing coffee company that took a different approach to their branding. See, Jax is also an insanely good athlete, so she combined her love of the outdoors, travel, and being stoked on life with a passion for coffee. Boom, Stoked Roasters was born, and in just a few short years, she's grown it to almost a million dollars in annual revenue, opened two stores, and done so much more, all while training and competing at the very highest level. Seriously, just wait until you hear what she's doing. This episode is full of inspiration but also practical tips on creating a unique brand, hiring the right kinds of people, and expanding your retail presence. And we geek out a bit on coffee too. Welcome to The Build Cycle, the podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. This episode is brought to you by Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that negotiates on behalf of healthy people to get lower rates, so you're not stuck paying a high premium just because you're lumped in with everyone else. If you take care of yourself, it's easy to qualify. Stay tuned to hear how they can save you real money. And now, let's get running. So Jax, you launched Stoked Roasters in 2014, and makes that makes it a pretty fresh new company in the grand scheme of things. But you guys seem to be moving pretty quickly. Uh, what made you want to start a coffee company? So ever since I was 11 years old, believe it or not, I started to fall in love with coffee. And for me, coffee was always a place of community. I was like the coffee runner for the summer job. And um, I fell in love with this whole concept of coffee shops and how coffee brings people together. And so through my whole entire career and life, I've found different ways to tap into forming the coffee business that I have today. And so in June of 2014, I finally launched my kind of lifetime dream. That's funny because you think like as a kid with a summer job or whatever, running and getting coffee for people, that would seem like a terrible thing, but you actually enjoyed it. Yeah, at first it was totally annoying. I'm like, this stuff is disgusting. Like, why would you want coffee? And they're like, look, we're giving you extra money for you to get something. Try, like, iced mocha. And, of course, it has, like, chocolate, whipped cream, you know, bullet sugar. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is good. Yeah, <laughs> it's good when it's I, like a milkshake. <laughs> yeah. And then I got into blended drinks. And then I started getting into just, coffee and milk and then just coffee and at a young age I was like oh my gosh there's such a difference between the origins and then I started working at Starbucks and I just fell in love with coffee and like every morning I was totally wanted one and then I just told myself at that, that young age I was like someday I'm gonna have a coffee business in a mountain town and it's gonna be awesome <laughs> <laughs> so 
so here we are. <laughs> yeah, and and you worked at Starbucks. And I was reading your bio. You worked at quite a few fitness and outdoor brands, and uh, so I'm curious. Like, I, we'll get into the nuts and the bolts of how you actually launched your company. But when you were working for those other brands, like Native Eyewear and some others, mm-hmm. what were some of the lessons you picked up at those places that you've implemented into your own business? So I was really lucky. I've always had this entrepreneur mindset, which is what I went. For to school for and somehow ended up in this like corporate America track and always in the outdoor realm. And I really picked up like a huge marketing toolkit and anywhere from like front end to back end. So like grassroots marketing, being a store manager at Lucy Activewear to then moving on the back end and doing retail marketing for Crocs. And then moving on to Native, I actually ran the entire marketing department. And through all that, it's like I built this really powerful marketing toolkit over those you know, 14 years or what have you. And that really helped me to just have confidence in launching my own brand. And I also, in tandem with that, launched a boutique marketing agency when I left corporate America. And my whole concept with that was to help out outdoor brands that were up and coming, had smaller budgets, and I could be kind of the whole agency for them at a smaller budget. And so I think in this weird way through all of my different jobs, I built the capabilities to launch a company of my own. In my mind, like a coffee brand, there's so many different little coffee roasters. You kind of have to do something good with marketing to stand out. So what were maybe two or the three of the the key marketing things that you left with and said, okay, I need to do this, this, and this to just kind of like become known. Well, the craft coffee companies to, you know, just what you said is it's very crowded right now. And they call it like the third wave of coffee where like Starbucks and corporate coffee was second wave and Folgers and so on first wave. And so I really did want to have this niche. And so for me, it was, I wanted to be the official coffee of the outdoors and have this marketing tie of like getting you stoked to get outside and fueling your adventure with premium coffee. And that is very different than any craft coffee company out there. And so they're always very focused on like new origins and new roasts. And we are too, but we have like a fleet of 26 athletes. And so like in a unique way, we're really positioning ourselves and our brand as an outdoor company versus, you know, just a craft coffee company. So right away, the entire coffee industry was really into that. And, you know, it's something that's just so different in the coffee scene you know it's very buttoned up and you know if you think of like your typical coffee roaster they have like suspenders and <laughs> slick back hair and tight jeans and this style and a mustache you know, or a beard or both yeah <laughs> yeah and we're like coming into work on our mountain bikes and we're like trucker hats and like bro bro you know so I mean, right off the bat, we're just super unique and different. And But at the end of the day, we are obsessive perfectionists with the coffee bean itself. And so it's it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, cool. So you, you have this tie to adventure and outdoors sports. So this would be a good time to mention that you happen to be one of the top female 
ultra marathoners in the world, particularly for like off-road stuff. Um, I want you to talk, just maybe mention a couple of highlights to give some people some idea of the kinds of trips and, and running things that you do. And then I want to talk about how that influenced the, the brand as well. So I specialize in ultra marathons with a category called basically in stage racing. So it's taking like 155 miles, splitting it among seven days, six stages, and all self-supported. So everything you need is on your back and it's on the most undulated, rough and rugged terrain in the entire world. So locations that I've gone to are Antarctica, China, Chile, Africa, Sri Lanka, um, and I just actually got back from Morocco. And so the stage racing world, it's all about like testing yourself in the limits. Temperatures are 124 degrees or above. The trail is just marked with flags or little signs. And it's not like even a real trail most of the time. You're just like running on a valley of sand dunes <laughs> or Moroccan jebels or what have you. And so it's this a really big growing part of ultramarathoning that is all staged like that. And then I tap into some single day stage races as well. Um, And then in the whole stage race world, I was actually the first woman in the world to complete um, the four deserts race series grand slam plus, which was actually doing five of those races in a single calendar year. Um, so it was actually within 10 and a half months. And then I won four of them and became the Four Deserts Female World Champion. Uh, so that's kind of, I guess, my claim to fame. And then I um, just got back from the most competitive stage race in the world, which is called Marathon de Sablo, which is in Morocco, and placed sixth overall female there. Um, so that's kind of like this. Thank you. That one's like the Super Bowl of stage racing and where you like being top 10 there is you can really identify yourself as one of the best desert runners in the world. Nice. Awesome. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, I mean, (laughs) that's well beyond anything I want to do, but it does sound super (laughs) cool. I mean, the travel side of it's phenomenal. The things you get to see, I'm sure. So like all of that travel, all of that, those experiences, you know, in the competition and the training and everything, like how did that inform the brand and, and what you do at Stoke? Um, I think that it, I believe that when you look at brands, um, it's, it's really cool when the whole entire company is backing up their brand story. I think that's really important. And so for us, like a really key piece for us is looking at, you know, stoked every employee there loves to be outside and we love to be outside just as much as you do. And I feel like that creates credibility and authenticity in what we're doing as a brand. And then we're just all addicted to coffee. And (laughs) even furthermore, we took it as far as I actually launched an instant coffee. uh, So you could have stoked wherever you go. So and in the desert, then I could actually have it in tow. And so right when I got to MDS, actually, I started um, sharing, going tent by tent and giving out Stoke 6 so people could get stoked in the morning um, when they had their coffee. And so we have two different blends. And so that's a really fun way that it being 20% actually of the whole entire coffee industry, it's a way for us to just um, throw that product around the world and share it with the masses and in the middle of the desert 
Um, so that's been really, really fun. And I think that there's a, a really unique story and, um, you know, you've got pro athletes out there, but also when there's a diehard entrepreneur slash pro athlete, you know, that's, um, it's inspiring for people because you know, it, people that are doing more of the day to day life, whether it's motherhood or, um, you know, they have a nine to five job that it kind of gives them an extra inspiration that, you know, this chick's out there like running a business and she's crazy athlete, you know, and she's doing it all. So I can get outside for 30 minutes, you know, and that's my goal is to inspire the masses. I imagine training for the types of races you do is pretty time consuming. So how do you balance your days between work and play? Like what kind of time management tips can you share? So kind of day in the world of jacks is probably, I get up at 5, 5.30 every single day. And depending on the time of year, because I like to run either sunrise or post-sunrise to sunset, um, I'll get a run done and then have my morning coffee and work and then usually do strength training midday. And then in the afternoon, it's either another run, rest, or um, – I like to actually bike for cross training, uh, mountain biking and road biking. And so I'll do that and then work until I pass out and pretty much do that every single day of the year. So like, I don't understand what day it is, weekends, holidays, like it's a little bit jaded in the entrepreneur world of jocks. Um, but it's, I mean, you just gotta be gunslinging, going nonstop if you want to get it all in. So it's a pretty, pretty intense life structure <laughs> yeah I, I think when you love what you do though which it sounds i mean i can tell just from the way you're talking that you do it, it's not yeah. hard like some people would look at that and just say oh my god i couldn't do that but then when you find that thing that just keeps you jazzed and you know you've got two you've got stoked and you've got the running like it's not hard it's just fun yeah every part of my life and i think that's really important i mean that in itself is part of inspiring people is like if you if you really love something you're super passionate about it like the success will come you know and it's I think it's you look at folks that are in their careers and they're unhappy and it's like that's like 40 hours of your week and so I think I learned really young of just like everything you do every day should just like fuel your heart with passion you know or why do it <laughs> yeah this is kind of a side note but i feel like where some people get stuck i mean i know some people that would love nothing more than to do that and probably could jump ship or or just start something but they just haven't found what they want to do yet and that's like that to me is maybe the most heartbreaking thing is that they just haven't you know they there's things they like to do but there's not that one thing that they're just like so jazzed about that they want to get up early and they want to stay up late to do it and yeah, right. I wish there was some secret formula to find that out because change the world if you could do that. It would. Yeah. Everyone would just be running around with smiles here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk coffee. So uh, putting the brand aside of it, like if you're yeah. just talking about the product itself, is there something that makes Stoke Coffee kind of different and special than all the other roasters? Well, I think in the world of craft coffee, um, some of what's lacking right now is everyone's going to automated systems. Um, so, and from a roasting perspective, we're old fashioned and 
Uh, it takes a long time to figure out your blends and what you want. So we have six signature blends at Stoked, uh, and they are beans from 15 different origins. And so that probably took nine months to get a baseline of what I wanted to do there. And then all the blends are named after different outdoor themes, and that's just kind of how we keep with our brand ethos. Um, but from there, it's like roasting is the most important part. And it's just this meticulous process where we literally are uh, watching uh, our roasting process every single minute and actually even writing it down because we believe that uh, there's, you know, it's a crop, you know, it's coming in different seasons, this and that, and the beans have different amounts of water in them when you're getting them. And so everything affects the bean. And so we're really watching those first two minutes are critical. And then from there, it's just this obsessive calculation of making sure the roast is perfect. And I think that's what it's all about. And so it's paying attention to that detail um, is, is critical and what gives you a perfect cup of coffee. And then even in the world of brewing, we're the same way at both of our tasting rooms where we're weighing every single shot from the grams in to the extraction out. And we adhere to a specialty coffee association standards. And, you know, it's almost like this obsessive, um, perfectionist style that we have with every cup. And I think that that, um, that really starts to push you ahead of the rest in the world of craft coffee. Right on. So I see this storytelling behind some of the brands of, you know, how the founder visited the farms and handpicked the crops for the beans, for the roasts. And that like, I was running through your website and it, that doesn't really seem to be part of your story as much. Is that just hype from everybody or like, do you see a need to go visit uh, the places where your beans come from? I think that that's very rare um, that folks are doing that in the craft coffee scene. You've got to get really big. It's very expensive. Um, we work with um, Royal Coffee Importers. Um, everything we do is 100% organic, which is rare. And it, it does create limitations of what origins you can pick from because it's really expensive for the farms to get those certifications. Um, but for... For us, it's, um, it is a dream when we get bigger to actually work with um, farms from each of those origins. And, um, and for me, it's, I want to have that intimate relationship with a farm. And it's a more expensive process, but it's a more intimate and authentic process. And for me, it's always about giving back to the community. So I would want to um, double time that with actually bringing the love of sport to that origin. So like, let's say it's near, um, oceans or something. And so we bring a pro athlete and surfboards and we teach them all how to surf and leave a bunch of boards and, you know, something like that, where like, that's my lifelong dream, I think from like a green bean side. Um, so that would be, super cool someday cool. <laughs> um but but i think it, it really is rare that uh you know coffee roasters are actually going to every single farm um just because it's very time consuming it's super expensive and uh, your importers can provide so many different origins for you that um it's you know right now that's what we're doing uh, is there a way to know that what you're ordering from these importers is actually what you're getting 
Yes, uh, it's a very meticulous process with your importers. Um, you know, because it's a commodity, so you're really dealing with um, a lot of credentials on every single bag of beans that you get, especially with um, the organic world. So there's actually organic certificates for every single bag of green beans. So a bag would have about 150 pounds of green beans in it. And so it has a lot number. It has all the information about the farm. It has um, altitude of the farm because that changes bean taste. Um, it has what the climate's like. It has the farm, like details about the farm. So they can't really, um, kind of mess with that. Like if you're getting lower, I mean, specialty coffee standards go all the way down to the green beans that you're purchasing. So even in that world, we're really picky about what we're selecting in the organic world. You don't see it as much, but you, uh, I mean, you're just working with um, very, just really good farmers where they can't really, they can't really mess with any of that. So you're pretty confident in what you're buying. Take me to the process of going from that raw ingredient to a finished product in retail packaging. Like what are some of the different steps that people may not be thinking of? So coffee roasting is um, basically your roaster is like a stove kind of. Um, so you are taking the green bean and it's going through probably a 12 and a half minute process through the roaster where um, it goes through a drum up, uh, or a hopper up top and then into a drum where it almost like looks like a dryer inside. And then there's two things that affect your roast. One is gas and the other is exhaust. And so if you can imagine, like, if you close the exhaust all the way, it would get super hot and super smoky inside, um, and you'd rip through your roast really, really fast. And some folks actually do that to, like, save on energy or whatever, and then you're, like, getting this smoky taste in your coffee, which is kind of gross. Um, so for us, we actually keep our exhaust at, like, two-fifths open, um, and then from there, it's all about playing with your gas to make sure that the roast is around 12 and a half minutes. Um, and then you have a trier, which is a, a device that you actually can keep pulling out um, coffee beans from the a drum and seeing the different colors. So like the bean will go from a green to a yellow to a light brown, which is like a city, they call it a city roast. And at that point, um, it's called first crack. So the the coffee is actually like makes this cracking sound. Sounds kind of like popcorn popping. Hmm. And it's uh, the bean is actually expanding. And so if you pull it out right then, that would be like a real light roast or a city roast, which is going to keep tons of flavor and then it's going to have the most caffeine. And so that's where you're pulling out for like breakfast blends and your morning coffees. And there's a, tons of like, you're picking origins like uh, Ethiopian beans and so on that have a lot of flavor in them. And then if you keep going through the roast, uh, you're going to hit a second crack, which is um, probably even just, it's just like 50 degrees later. Um, and then uh, you're going into the dark roast. And then French roast is like super oily coffee beans. Um, and so that's like the spectrum of like light to dark is going to be like a real dark chocolate color with oil present on it is your darkest French roast and then all the way down to that light roast. So depending on what blends you're doing and what you're trying to pull out from a flavor perspective, 
um, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna drop the beans out at that point. That's all there is to it. It'll cool off from there for like five minutes, and then you bag it and ship it. Sounds simple. <laughs> Why isn't everybody yeah. doing it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird about the beans. I've always wondered because yeah, it seems like French roast. They always are that they have that oily sheen and feel to them. So is that just a different yeah. bean, or is it because they've cooked longer, or both? Because they've roasted longer. So, like, um, in the perspective of pulling it out, um, let's see, you would drop a light roast at 407 degrees, let's say. And a French roast, you would pull it out around 448 degrees. And the coffee is burnt at 450. Hmm. So that's how close you are to over-roasting. So the French roast is actually an art of making sure you don't rip through so far that you burn it. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced um, going to certain coffee shops or corporate coffee where it's just, it tastes like over roasted and like super dark and burnt. Yeah, all the um, time. And that's where that is the art of coffee right there is literally paying attention obsessively to making sure that you get it right before. And that's why it's so important for us to not automate stuff because how, how would you know, you know, because crops change and so on. And, on those different roasts, like I guess like the art part of coffee comes from at all those different uh, points that you're pulling the coffee out from light to medium, medium, dark to dark to French is that's where the art comes in because you're pulling different origins of coffee to pull different flavors. And that's where you're having fun with it all because it, it'll taste totally different. And you're picking different origins based off of how far you're roasting it. Because if you're roasting a French roast, it's kind of, you can pick uh, pretty, like, uh, beans from, like, Peru and Central America that don't have tons of flavor going on because you're basically at a point of a French roast, you're roasting out all the flavor. And it actually is the lightest caffeine. Um, and it's just people are going for this real dark coffee taste, which is just something that happens when you go through the roast that far, versus a light roast you're being very very picky about what you're putting in that blend because they're going to taste all these robust flavors and that's what they're looking for in a light roast because it's going to be so present hmm. interesting cool all right i, I yeah. could keep going down the rabbit hole of geeking out on coffee because it's fascinating <laughs> but i want to get let's get back to the, the business <laughs> side of it um so, like, when you're ordering beans, how much do you have to order at a time of the green raw beans? So, it's up to you. Um, so, they, and that's what's so helpful with an importer. So, you can do futures. Like, let's say I know, like, 50 bags of Peru are coming in, and this time, and I like that farm. I actually could order ahead of time. But we usually order with, like, um, they call it spot. So it's actually what's available in the warehouse, like right then, unless we're trying to get like a really, really specific origin. Um, like there's a origin that's from Ethiopia that has a lot of raspberry and blueberry notes that we like for summer soak. So that we're um, getting a little bit more picky about our ordering process, but we order probably 14 bags a month of coffee. So 14 times 150 pounds. I'm not sure how many pounds of coffee that is, but a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and, um, and then we roast three times a week and those are, you know, 10 hour roast days. 
And so, and then we immediately turn and ship the next day so that it's super fresh. And then that ship window allows the beans to, the, they call it like a degassing process, but it's a process where you want the beans actually to sit for, it's a controversial subject, but we like it to sit for at least 48 to 72 hours before we're going to brew that coffee. Um, so we usually uh, order through importers in the first of the month, and then we're out of beans by the end of the month and so we kind of go through a monthly process like that all right all right so for if somebody wants to start a coffee company and kind of follow in your footsteps and do their own thing what like how did you learn all of this is there a school for it or some kind of process yeah um i mean i went through more of like an organic approach through i mean i worked at starbucks for six years and i think i learned a lot of what to do and not to do on the coffee shop side and then I went to school for entrepreneurship, which helped out a lot and helped found a couple of companies. So there are pieces like that that helped with like building pro formas, getting investors, like those kind of pieces. And then on the roasting side, you could actually go to like a roasting school. But for me, I was like, I want to open Stokes like I've been around for five years. And when you go to a roasting school, you're in a school of 200 other people and you're paying like, let's say 300 bucks to sit in a class and you probably won't even touch your roaster. And so for me, my avenue was that I actually um, met uh, this guy, Stefan, that at the time owned Jackson Hole Coffee Roasters and he has like 21 years of experience. And I actually um, paid him to take me through an apprenticeship program for eight months. And I just went under his wing and he taught me everything I needed to know about roasting and like nothing I didn't. And so that allowed me to be completely hands on and develop all of my blends and um, just go kind of more hardcore with it all so that when I opened, I was super legit. Um, And I think that that's really important for um, being, you know, having credibility and so on. Yeah, cool. And with your online store, you know, your website, you guys sell coffee and some of the merchandise and stuff. What's the breakdown between like individual orders and subscriptions for your beans? Uh, we have probably like 30 subscriptions, I'd say, that are um, people just they get it monthly just comes to their door and then it's kind of like the dollar shave club where you actually can like change it at any time so like let's say you're having a holiday party and you want more or you're just consuming it you can change it to two weeks every two weeks or three weeks or what have you so it's a nice program um the rest of our online business is exploding right now um so and then we just actually got on amazon um as of monday (laughs) So that's like a whole new field for us. So over the past like six months, our um, online business has grown by like probably 300%. Uh, so it's um, it's kind of crazy every day we're shipping. So how, you guys have a like a, the roaster is in Hood River, Oregon, and you have a tasting room yep. there. Is that where the bulk of the coffee is still sold or has been sold? And so how is like the, the sales at retail versus um, sales online? And then... I guess for retail, break it down, like for your store versus other stores. I'm assuming you guys are in, you know, like grocery stores and stuff. Yeah. So we have 42 retail accounts, um, actually all over the country and up into Canada. And then online we're shipping to 45 out of 50 states. So 
um, interestingly enough, we just pushed national really quick, right in 2014, and started, um, we immediately were in California, Canada, Utah, um, and then we pushed really quickly throughout the United States, um, which was really cool. Was that just and random, so, like people just from random states were just ordering it online, or was that like an intentional yeah. effort? Um, it's both. And um, I think just through exposure to um, folks found out about us or through myself traveling all over the world, um, folks found out about it. And so we have a mixture of like wholesale accounts or just D2C all over the country of um, folks that are starting to get stoked. And so from there, it's, uh, you know, as that grows bigger and bigger and bigger, we'll have to decide if eventually it makes more sense to have another roaster that's probably in the middle of a country um, so that distribution is a little bit easier um, and makes more sense. So that'll be a future step for us is that production model inside of distribution to be, um, you know, more in the middle of the country to help out with all of that. All right. So I, I just did some quick math. And if you're doing 1,450 pound bags, that's about 2,100 pounds of beans. And if you get, you know, say you net 100% out of the roaster and you're selling them in 12 ounce bags, that's basically 2,800 bags of coffee sold per month. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Which is like $45,000. Okay. And so you're doing what per year? Um, we're doing around, our sales are around $700,000 a year right now. Right on. And is that... That's, like all in. How quickly is that growing for you? Um, well, we've been open almost four years, and it's uh, jumped a lot in the past two. Significant growth. Um, especially the online business is probably 300% growth in the past year. Is that coming um, from... So, from repeat orders or new customers or both? Like, how does that break down? Both. That's coming from both. Um, I think a lot of it's been just a growth and exposure, and then um, folks are shopping online from there. Yeah, when they're at work trying to find something to do besides work. <laughs> yeah, just get soaked. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to jump back and, and maybe clarify my question and get a, a answer from you. As far as how the sales break down, they're like, what percent is – at retail versus retail at your store versus retail into grocery versus online? Um, these are just like soft numbers, but sure. I would say um, probably like four, 50%, 40 to 50% is in our um, bags off the wall in our tasting rooms or just, you know, brewing coffee there. And then the rest is, um, wholesale distribution online is probably 20% right now. It sounds like I'd that's say. the fastest growing part though, right? It is. It, it's growing very quickly. So that I think will quickly be 40, especially with um, adding in Amazon now um, with the instant coffee. Do you have the ability to scale if you start growing like yeah. crazy? Yeah. And I mean, for us, it's just like more warehouse space. Um, our instant coffee is a really um, easy business. Uh, so that one, it's um, everything sold by the case uh, or just by one box either way. But um, for wholesale, it's by case. And so it's like slapping a label and throwing it in the mail. 
Um, so it's become a really easy system and then it's a two year shelf life. So, uh, that's, that business model is, um, incredible. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So you launched the sticks, S T I X, the instant yep. copy. And you know, from what I heard, it took Starbucks a long, long time and a lot of R and D to figure out instant coffee. So how did a little yep. tiny company like you manage to just kind of, Hey, we should do this and knock it out. So Starbucks is probably um, one of, if not the only company that actually has production within their own warehouse or their whole system. They have a patented way that they're doing it. And everyone else is working through coffee importers that uh, the process is done at the farm. Um, so it's not as like, fun, you know, it's not as crafty. Um, but the process basically of instant coffee is like a super duper micro grind. And then it has a spray dry process that gives it that two year shelf life. And then it's ground so small that that's what allows you to pour hot water in it and then to turn into coffee. And so everyone is just working through importers and then co-packers and, and so on. So for us, it's, um, away from a brand perspective to uh, be wherever you want to be. And so we took it really seriously when we were working with our importer and we tried 60 different blunt, like 60 different origins to find those two blends. And um, we, we just got really, we nerded out on it and it's called cupping, um, which is like, think of wine tasting. It's a very similar process that you're doing with coffee. And so we cupped all these different origins and figured out um, the ones that were the best. And then we went and tried to have all of our competitors like Via or Nescafe or um, all those different ones and wanted to just taste better than they did. So it's not like you're ordering out of a catalog. You guys, this is a, a, a distinct stoked product because you blended the ones that you wanted to come up with the flavor profile yep. you wanted. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then we have a medium roast and a dark roast that we launched. Time for a quick break, but this will be more like a sprint in some of Jax's all-day runs. Health IQ provides athletes like her with better deals on life insurance policies. But don't worry, you do not need to be an ultramarathoner like her to qualify. Health IQ is designed for cyclists, runners, crossfitters, and others who put a little effort into staying fit, active, and healthy. They negotiate with top-notch underwriters, probably the same ones you're already paying too much to, to get better rates than you or I could ever get on our own. If you're running a business, have a family, or there's investors counting on you to perform, you need life insurance. Help support this podcast and save real money by going to healthiq.com slash build cycle. That's healthiq.com slash build cycle. Thanks, and now back to this episode. All right, I want to go back to your sales for a second. The, like on the online store and in your retail stores, you have merchandise and brewing equipment and stuff. Does that really move the needle for you guys or is it still just mostly coffee that's generating the revenue? It's um, So we actually just did an analysis on that and uh, the sale of the coffee beans specifically is 85% of our sales on average over every month that we've been around so far. Hmm. So is that other stuff a necessity do you think or? Um, it's very important for us to show our favorite brewing equipment because we're really picky about, especially with your at-home kit. Uh, so we actually partner with Espro, 
which is a company that makes, uh, we think, the best French press in the world. Uh, they're out of Canada. And so we work with them on the brewing side for at-home brewing. And then um, La Marzocco is what we recommend for espresso um, at home or, you know, at our shops. And then, um, you know, from there, it's, uh, you know, just some swag and stuff. So for us, it really is like an extreme focus just on the coffee bean. And, um, and then Hydro Flask is our preferred way to have a it on the go right okay so this might just be me getting old but i i feel young at a fresh <laughs> 44 years old but when i was looking through your website the, mm-hmm. your team they look like kids so i, I kind of would ask <laughs> like how old are you and because you look super young too <laughs> like and what's the yeah. average age of your employees gosh it's so funny lately just even as a professional athlete and um, doing stuff with my sponsors. I'm in these camps and so on, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're all, like, really young, you know, but I'm like, I'm 38, and lately, everywhere I go, I've been the oldest person, <laughs> and I'm like, shit. <laughs> um, but my staff, they're um, in their 20s. Um, uh, we have one guy, Jasper, who's 18, but other than that, we've our employees are probably, like, yeah, early mid and upper 20s yeah um, and, and i i want to note that these part. aren't just like people working in the coffee shop these are like your roasters and your operations manager like Correct. everyone there that's running this company with you is super young so what are the challenges yeah. of manning managing this group of millennials and gen zers <laughs> you know i've actually been really really lucky um on the roasting side specifically which is your most important part um so from my, I then took uh, this guy Derek through an apprenticeship program, and then he took uh, this guy Nick through an apprenticeship program. So anyone that wants to be a roaster for Stoke has to go through a nine-month apprenticeship program before they can roast on their own. So it's our protocol, and that's how obsessive we are with that part, and that's why I think we always have a consistent good cup of coffee. But like Nick, who's our head roast master right now, is 25 or 26, and um, we've just been so lucky. He's, you know, just super committed dude. And, um, my, uh, Jonathan who helps me run the business is 23 and is, uh, the best catch I could ever dream of having. And so he helps with anything from running the two tasting rooms to the books, all the counting, um, operations and so on. So, you know, I think that we uh, are really picky about who we choose. And, um, you know, I think that this is a part about, I guess, working with Jax is that I, I do have a very intense um, work ethic. And so I think folks that come aboard know that they have to have, carry that through. And so they get weeded out pretty fast if they're not on that program and um, so it's created a staff that's just these diehard young guns that want to see Stoke blow up. Is there anything Internal, you, you do in the interview process to find them? Because, you know, one of the complaints you hear is, or that I've heard are either they just, you know, people that young just don't want to work that hard because maybe they've never had to. But also they, and, and I hate to generalize like this because it sounds terrible, but, you know, they, they come into something and think they know everything and they want to do it their way. And, you know, when you tell them, say, no, this is the way it's done. It's like, 
they just don't want to deal with it sometimes. So how do you screen that out in advance? Because it's really expensive and time consuming to bring somebody in to train them and then have to let them go a few months later. Yeah, our interview process is extremely meticulous. Um, And then we we kind of we're different in our interview process too, where we really test them on. um, We just ask the weird questions to like get through real quick to figure out their passion meter with work. And for us, it's like, they can't just, we don't want anyone that it's just like their summer seasonal job. And so I think it's through questions that we're asking. And then we're just really upfront that like we work extremely hard. And if that's not of interest to you, um, I would probably like not apply. Um, but I, you know, you always get those folks that only last a couple months and, that's just normal and the you know world of any type of I think restaurant retail food service but for the most part our turnover is really low and uh, I think that part of it too is that folks know that when they come to Stoke they're gonna wear a few hats and I think they really like that like a uh, gal that's our assistant manager now is taking over social media and she's taking over running um, Team Stoked which is our fleet of 26 athletes and so I think that's really fun for them it's just because they know that they're coming into this company that's not just slinging lattes all day, you know? And so they think they see the potential and they get to do all these different activities. And so it's super fun. Yeah. It keeps it fresh, keeps, and they get to learn new stuff too. Yeah. I think at the same time that folks, um, you know, I think they get inspired to work for Jonathan or I, where they know that we're going to push them really hard and, you know, sometimes they, you know, they want to slack off, but they just, they, they get inspired and they really look up to you and they want to do the best that they can. And I think it's, it's finding that fleet of um, candidates that, that want to really, they want, they see a career in it and they want to, they have so much passion for coffee and um, the outdoors. And so you just, you have to be a lot more picky, interview longer and, and you usually find we've been really lucky to find really great talent, especially in small mountain towns or in Hood River. Yeah, <laughs> forgot about that part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, that can make it doubly tough. Well, you got to weed. You have to weed out like the ski bums, and like <laughs> there's like you know the kiteboarders that just want to rage all day. <laughs> you know. Yeah, if the wind's good, they're not showing up at work, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or the transients that leave. You know, and they're only there half a year. So you have your roasting company in Hood River, and but you guys just opened the tasting room, which I, I guess is just basically like a coffee shop, right? The tasting room and the roastery opened together four years ago, and then I just opened a coffee shop on Main Street in Park City. So that's like our first expansion. And then we did a shop and shop concept in North Face for a little bit in a flagship location in San Francisco, which is super fun. And we did a mobile tour for a little bit where we had decked out a Sprinter van as like a coffee shop on wheels as a little bit of a marketing hit for a while. And so we've dabbed in some stuff. Um, but these are our two like brick and mortar permanent um, staple locations. Yeah, which I should mention those locations are 700 miles apart from each other. And that you actually yeah. live in Park City, but you started the, you know, your home base is in Hood River. So how does that work? So I live here in Park City, and part of that is just to be able to visit this one every single day. And then for my professional running career, it's really important to run up high. And 
Um, and it's really cool too. The community here is there's probably like 20 outdoor companies within the proximity of Park City and Salt Lake. So being uh, in that collection of outdoor companies, I think is really important and just um, networking with all those folks. And then I actually fly to Hood River um, once a month and spend about a week a month there as well. And so, um, you know, they have that time with me and, so I just kind of bought back and forth as like a little commuter. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys use to communicate? Like Slack? Or are you just on the phone with them all the time? Or is it, do they run pretty autonomously? Autonomously. And then we um, just email and um, Google Docs is how we do all of our business um, documents and so on. And then Dropbox is huge for us. Right. So uh, we figured out a virtual system that works really well. And then we all have, uh, weekly conference calls every week between the shops. And then I would say Jonathan and I talk almost every day. Cool. All right. I've got three standard questions. I like to ask everyone to kind of wrap things up. So what are one or two management or operational issues that keep you up at night? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think in small business, you're always like, you stress out about your books a lot. <laughs> um, but oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> when you stress um, about your books, are you, are you guys profitable or like how how have yeah. you grown? Was this all on you know bootstrap with your own bank account, or did you guys take on investment? Like, um, what does it take I to did, start up I, a coffee company, dollar wise? I had a I had a business partner to start um, to launch the roastery and tasting room. Is it's, you're going in 250k for that. And then, um, you know, you're all of your expansion projects from there. Um, but I bought him out actually last year. Um, so now it's just myself. Um, so that's nice. And we were really lucky. We were profitable really early and that allowed us, we just reinvested very quickly to just make it explode. Um, so, uh, we were in the green real quick. And then, um, on the park city, city side, you see the same thing happening. So like a small coffee shop like that, uh, I put in, 150k and we should go in the green by then of 2018 awesome um so pretty quickly uh that's pretty rare um and yeah but i think just any entrepreneur you're always like you want i'm i push myself really hard and i think that comes from my athlete world and so i just want to be bigger and bigger and bigger all the time so i'm always up at night thinking about how i can grow the business and waking up at two and writing down ideas <laughs> and going back to bed. <laughs> Sounds about so, right. Yeah. That's entrepreneurship in a nutshell. You know, I think I've seen over the years as I've met certain people where, you know, I think the trick with entrepreneurship is that you have to, you have to have that kind of more intense personality and you have to be so like personally driven and, there's just certain characteristics that you have to have or you flop out and you just go, you bail out. Um, so I think it takes a certain characteristic and mindset to to be able to be successful in small business. Yeah, so what are the grand plans? How big do you want to get? And, and do you have a timeline for getting there? Um, uh, I think within, I mean, I'd like to be a $20 million company someday you know, at a minimum. And I think that's like a 10 year plan. Okay. I mean, it sounds There's like you're pretty close co- to a million. I would imagine if you're growing the way you say, you yeah. guys should hit a million next year or this year pretty easily. We could, 
we could hit with Park City and Hood River, we could hit a million dollars this year, which would be a huge milestone for us. And then uh, I feel like when you get to that point, it grows exponentially from there. And then it's a big decision of, you know, do I want to keep launching small coffee shops all over the country or, you know, what's that distribution model looking like and, you know, how how fast do I want to grow? I think in the coffee world, you can do two things. You could, then you could get in a, you know, a bigger uh, capital structure and explode nationwide with small coffee shops, kind of like Blue Bottle did, or you could just try to explode in the whole bean business and instant coffee business. And so I think that's something I'm still trying to play with and figure out. But either avenue, um, I want it. I want it to blow up, and I want us to just really be known as we're the coffee of the outdoors and soup to nuts and um, you know, we take being outside as seriously as every perfect cup of coffee. Right on. Okay. So to back to your, the things that keep you up, you know, worrying about the books and stuff, is there a product or service you wish someone would make that could help ease that mental burden? Um, I think that's just me calming my mind, <laughs> you know, cause I mean, we're doing really well, you know, so it's, I think that's like a, um, that could, it's an entrepreneurship flaw. <laughs> yeah. I actually meditate. Um, and that's what uh, helps me keep my Zen about it all. Um, so that's been actually a really helpful tool for me. And then of course, you know, most of the time running, uh, is how I process a lot of stuff and, um, keep a really sound mind with, um, pushing the envelope in my business. Cool. Okay. Any last bits of advice for entrepreneurs that may want to do something similar to what you're doing? Um, I would say like in the world of entrepreneurship, um, it's going to be hard, but it's so worth it, you know, and some days you're just going to want to quit, you know, just the same as running a really long ultra marathon or a really long bike ride, you know, and I think it's, uh, just stick with it. And, um, I believe that thoughts are your future. And I believe that I've created a lot of success on that mental model. And, uh, you know, you just throw your affirmations out there. And if every day you go and plug away at them, you're going to have a successful business or athlete career or, you know, whatever you're going after. Well, on that note, probably time for some afternoon coffee. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for your time. It's great hearing your story. Yeah, thank you. There's a couple of key takeaways here. First, it's that just because there's an expected branding theme within your industry, that doesn't mean you have to follow it. In fact, maybe you shouldn't. Jacks didn't subscribe to the hipster, coffee-as-art vibe of some coffee shops. Sure, there's a crowd that that appeals to, but it's not for everyone, which means there's room for her to take a different tack and create a brand that spoke to her. Chances are there are hundreds, thousands, or even millions of people that share the same attitudes and activities you do. So build your brand around that and appeal to the same people you'd want to hang out with anyway. Not only will it be way more fun, but it'll be authentic and it helps separate you from everyone else. Coffee is a crowded space, but this strategy has helped her differentiate and grow. The other key takeaway was her approach to learning. She didn't just jump right in and start roasting coffee. She worked for Starbucks, then apprenticed under an experienced roaster. This provided valuable experience in different areas of the business and it gave her a real-world MBA in running a coffee company. This let her hit the ground running with full speed when Stoked launched, and she hasn't slowed down since. 
If you're planning to launch your own company, who can you learn from? Who's doing something similar and doing it well? Can you intern there, work there, join related associations and get to know them and their industry? Knowing what to expect before you spend a ton of time, energy, and money can really accelerate your growth and profitability. Trust me, I learned this the hard way with my energy drink business because I didn't know how that industry really worked and I'm still paying off debt from that venture 10 years later. I hope you liked this episode as much as I did and are stoked to get going and growing. Speaking of which, can you help me grow this podcast by hitting subscribe and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? I'll put a link to do just that in this episode's show notes, which contains links, photos, and more. It's all at thebuildcycle.com slash podcast. Here's hoping you're brewing up something awesome. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep building.